Welcome back to another OMN Coffee Shop Conversation at our home for these things, World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason. Tony Furtado is here today. He's known worldwide as a stringed instrument player, especially the banjo, and more often than not these days as a singer-songwriter. He has a new album out, a live one called Cider House Sessions, live at Reverend Nats. If you don't know anything about that place, you will by the time we're done. He's got an album release on Saturday, May 6th at the Alberta Rose Theatre. He's married to Portland singer-songwriter Stephanie Schneiderman. Two musicians in the family? How does that work? Hear a track from the new album at the end of the conversation. So why don't we meet Tony Furtado? How about it? Welcome to the cupping room. Thank you. That's Good what this is. <laughs> I like the it. The cupping room of, of uh, World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th in Gleason. Glad to have you here. Uh, that's that's barista talk. The cupping room. Yeah, we had that. I had actually had, a, had one of the baristas come in here and explain what it meant. You know, it's a it's an acupuncture thing too. I know it's it is a and very also, nice acupuncture yeah, thing. I know. So there's a sexual thing that people always think of also. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Well, anyway, you got a new album out. I do. Yeah, I do. It's just it, it, uh, now it's just live, right? Yes. Now, do have people always come up to you and said, "When are you going to do this live album? We want to have a live album, or we yes. want another live album?" Yes, they're all about the live albums. But then there's people that are like all against the live album. Is that right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They're like. <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 have my CDs on the table and yeah. and some people will say I want an album like what I just heard it's got to be live <laughs> and then some people come up and say okay now which ones are live I don't want to get those yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the applause thing That's it's weird. the some people think that it's lesser quality but nowadays you can record it studio quality and it's yeah. it, it can be great I mean it's not like you know, Mort Saul at the Hungry Eye or something yeah. like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, and I think it's also different across genres. Like with jazz, yeah. jazz can that can be the best the best albums because yes. you know you're riding the train, you're right. playing right. off of right. each other, right. and that's right. the most right. important right in that thing. Moment. Right? Yeah. 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 It's true. Sometimes uh, uh, um, the the if, if somebody has an album out, especially in jazz, and then they go. They go, you tour behind it. Mm-hmm. Lots of times, what you hear in the club is better yeah. than what's on the album because they know the tune better now and they yeah, played right. it and they're really into it. I could speak from they, experience on that is one. Is that right? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the more, uh, sometimes I'll be recording the songs in the studio and it's the first time we played it. Yeah. Which can be really cool because you're capturing it, mm-hmm. you know, right there on the spot, what you're coming up with. And then. What you hit the road with the song, and uh, six months later, it's a different song. It's okay. I mean, sometimes it's better yeah, yeah. than what it started as. Yeah. Sometimes it's just different. Yeah, yeah. I've I've, I've sat there and, and gone like, man, this is much better than the yeah, right. <laughs> I know. And then there's some some musicians who like to just uh i remember years ago uh i used to be uh good friends with Allison Krauss mm-hmm. and when she was first uh hitting the road with her band and stuff she would say that she likes to make sure her band sounds 
exactly like it sounds on the record. <laughs> and that was just her thing. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, maybe still is. I haven't talked to her for years, but uh-huh. some people, some artists just want it to be exactly like what they recorded. Huh. Which I find to be a little a little boring, but, yeah. That's not you what know. this is, is it? No. <laughs> no, no. No, not and at all. And it's called Cider House Sessions because it was recorded in a saloon. I mean, in a cider house. <laughs> in a cider house, exactly. <laughs> That's a hard cider house. A hard cider house, okay. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and who, who was Reverend Nat? Uh, his na- name is uh, Nat West, and he uh-huh. started Reverend Nat's Hard Cider. Um, uh-huh. And it's, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, I'd always dug what they were making there and uh-huh. uh, I was invited to come down and, and check out the place and I just thought this would be a great place for a live album I don't know why I thought that I mean it's just you know it's a big cavernous space with yeah. some big tanks in it and a nice <laughs> little tasting room it just had a nice vibe and, and I had been thinking about recording an, a live album again I, I seem to do them every few years uh-huh. you know and um, and when I thought about it it made sense to maybe go in there uh, on um, you know the same day every week for a month mm-hmm. with a different guest or two each week, set up the equipment myself, you know, go through yeah. the rigors of it and record it on my own computer, uh-huh. something about the ownership of it yeah. and I thought also the the cool thing about the space was they didn 't have music there all the time, so i didn 't have the pressure of the venue saying we need this place to be packed, yeah. we need to be selling a lot of liquor, yeah. you know. Uh, it was more focused on recording the album. What I didn't realize was that it was going to be uh, uh, a stressful thing to set up my own gear and deal with that. Oh, it so, was. yeah, it took it took until the very last night when I decided, okay, I'm going to hire Rob Stroop to come down and <laughs> and record the uh, the night. I got Shiro to uh, to come down and do the um, the sound. And well, you can't get much better than that. I know. She did the she did the live sound, and um, and then uh, I put the invite that this was going to be the last one. And uh, I had a friend of mine that was coming through town, Matt Flinner. We used to play music together in the '90s. He's a mandolin player, and uh, Rob Berger, um, who's a wonderful piano player, accordion player, used to be in uh, Tin Hat Trios, yeah. played with Bill Frizzell, Nora Jones, lots of folks, and he mm-hmm. came down to play accordion. And um, my friend Luke Price, who plays with me quite a bit, was playing uh, violin. And Stephanie Schneiderman, my wife, was uh-huh. uh, there to uh, do some harmony singing and stuff. And so, uh, you know, that we got most of the album from that night. I did you? Yeah, no stress. It felt good. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good, yeah. Well, you, you get good people around you. Totally, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, Shira is amazing. Yeah, Shira is the best. She really is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I had her in here. And uh, she, uh, to, to tell the story, well, to, to tell her story, but to tell especially the story of when she had to dial in the Mingus Big Band at the Schnitz. Wow. Uh, not the Schnitz, but the one across the street. Yeah. The Winningstadt. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they they were late. They were they were, had a snowstorm in New York. They got there. They pulled, piled off the bus, virtually went up on stage, and she just had to dial it in live. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> to a sold-out house. Oh, jeez. No pressure. She was fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just does what she does. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, how did you go about picking the tunes? Um, 
Well, because there's a mix of things. Yeah, the interesting thing here is um, I am the recent um, what uh, owner CEO <laughs> of my own label. Uh-huh. Um, and I I went independent for various reasons, uh, mostly being that I just wanted to regain control of everything yeah. after after releasing 16 albums under for other labels mm-hmm. and uh, under the guidance of other people using producers and uh, you know it came time and there were some really intense reasons why I decided that so uh, I felt bad experiences bad experience it was a bad 10 year experience uh. and um, it was uh, a necessary thing and you know people telling you what to do what, the, what you should sound yeah, like what, you should, what yeah, the songs you exactly. should sing exactly yeah, that's uh, that. Uh, also, they want to put you in a niche. Yeah, it also. I felt like the control was completely out of my corner. It got to the point yeah. where it's like, I I kind of didn't feel like doing it anymore because I felt oh, like wow. I wasn't huh. being able to express huh. anything. I just felt like I I was a tool, you know, huh. out there on the road slogging it away like yeah. I've done for thirty years now, yeah. and um, I, I I just I I'd, I'd lost whatever fire was in me. And and gaining back my own control meant relinquishing ownership of certain things yeah. or control over certain, a lot of my songs. Huh. And so I had to let that be. And so when I decided on the songs for this album, I wanted to go with newer songs uh-huh. and traditional songs. So I didn't have to, or for the most part, so I didn't have to deal with the past. You know, oh, it was, it was yeah. about yeah. future. It yeah. was about kind of also very present. Who have I got here? What are we going to do? What's going to sound the best? Uh-huh. And so, you know, I, I picked and chose uh, the songs that I thought would be best for the night. Did you write any, any tunes just for this album? No, but there is one that wasn't recorded on another for another album. Uh-huh. Um, and so that was kind of special to Which me. Which one was that? It, it's called I Will Always Be Around. Uh, it was about um, I lost my father about five years ago, uh, right around the time of this little... Uh, career shakeup, mm-hmm. and uh, also right around the time that me and Stephanie had our son. Yeah, I interviewed her while she was pregnant. Oh, <laughs> that's right. I remember that. So, um, you know, uh, the song came out of that, and it it, um, it it's it's just a simple little sentiment of uh, telling your son or expressing to your son, whether it's my dad to me or me to Liam, that I may not physically be here, but I'm always around. I'm, I'm always with you. And also there's the me going on the road a lot yeah. and trying to, you know, let him know that I'm still there. Yeah. I'm still here for you. Yeah. you know? He's five? He's almost five. Whoa! Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they say it goes by so quick and it's so true. What instrument does he play? <laughs> well, he says he plays drums. Oh, oh no! Yeah, because oh, no. Stephanie's got that kit in the in the in the basement. <laughs> he he, you know, he's. I don't know that he's necessarily gravitating specifically toward anything. I uh-huh. could tell that he's got a love of music. He uh-huh. loves singing. Yeah. He loves, uh, you know, noodling on instruments when we're we're there with him and stuff. He's actually been gravitating a lot toward being a little artist. Like oh. he's drawing all the time. He's always wow. playing with his play-doh. I do uh-huh. ceramic sculpture. Yeah. And I have a, a studio where or uh yeah, a studio where um I have all my clay and kilns and stuff uh-huh. and he comes down and makes these amazing little pieces. <laughs> and it's just so much fun. Uh-huh. And what's his name? Liam. 
Liam. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Yes, I I, I, I do believe that uh, uh, when I was sitting in your living room uh, doing that interview with Stephanie, she was quite showing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. Yeah. But still performing. <laughs> yes, she did. Right, <laughs> right up until uh, he came out. Is that <laughs> Pretty right? much, almost. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that must have been stressful for you. Uh, well, uh, I remember right maybe two weeks before he was born, uh-huh. I had gotten called by, uh, this is kind of funny, Billy Ray Cyrus to go down and do <laughs> The Tonight Show. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, because uh, months before that, I had been called in. I was passing through uh, L.A. with uh, my fiddle player, mm-hmm. and I'd gotten a uh, call from a buddy of mine that used to um, produce a couple of my albums, this guy Dusty Wakeman, and he was on the session playing bass for Billy Ray Cyrus's newest album at the time. Billy Ray Cyrus is the last guy I would have expected to get a call to play on, on his album, you know. <laughs> it's Billy Ray Cyrus, you know. It's, it's not necessarily what I listen to or what I'm into, but... Um, man, he was a sweet guy. I gotta say, he was really, really nice in person, and uh, you know, we all hit it off in the studio. And I had Luke, and I had fun playing on his album. And then every once in a while, I'd get these random texts from him, say, "Hey, man, how you doing, Papa?" You know. <laughs> and I'm not even Liam hadn't even been born yet. And then he said, "We want to get you down here to play on the Tonight Show. You want to do it?" <laughs> So I said, "All oh, right, that sounds great." So it just happened to be though so close to the the due date. Um, so I talked to Stephanie about it, and we decided that since it was such a quick flight, yeah. um, uh, that uh, it would be all right. So I went down for a couple of days, had that experience of playing on the Tonight Show when Jay Leno was doing it, and um, it was cool. <laughs> but it was slightly stressful thinking we could. Could he, you know, decide to be born while I'm uh-huh. down there? <laughs> no Miley, though. Huh? No Miley. No, no okay. Miley. <laughs> she was not there. <laughs> she was off uh, on a different, uh, on, on, on doing different things at that point. Yeah, I think yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, um, did you do a lot of rehearsing for, for this album? Um, no, we had one rehearsal. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They well, knew, they, they, they knew some of the tunes, right? Uh, Luke already knew all the songs. Okay. Because we'd been playing together yeah. for so long. Yeah. Rob Berger is the quickest study you'll ever meet. Uh-huh. He does not need to. He, you know, I mean, he he knew most of the songs anyway, uh, from playing on my last album called uh-huh. The Bell, yeah. um, and also playing. He'd played a couple shows with me and. But like I say, he's just a super quick learn. There's there's a good reason he's on so many albums. Um, and then Matt Flinner and I, since we go way back, our musical formative years, you know, we just have a certain rhythm. And, and How long have you been playing with him? Well, we met each other. He was 17 and I was 19. Whoa. That was 1987. Yeah. And we were both entered in the national banjo competition. Ah. Yeah, and he was playing banjo on yeah. that. On that, obviously, yeah. it was a banjo competition, and we just kept in touch ever since. And um, ever since that meeting, so a couple years later, uh, me and a friend of mine, Sally Truitt, and another friend, Ben Demarath, decided to start a band and and called up Matt to play in the band too, and. Um, we started a band called Sugar Beat, 
and uh, our first gig, our first time getting together to play was a contest at the Telluride Bluegrass Festival to to uh, play in the festival or to uh, to enter the contest. And we won the contest and and decided, well, we must be all right. So we uh, <laughs> went on to play for a couple years together. And then uh-huh. uh, Matt and I always kept in touch. And every once in a while, I played gigs together. And yeah. So <laughs> it was good good to have him back. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and, uh, so how long had you been playing banjo up, up until then? Um, well, up till. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. When did you start playing the banjo? I started playing like banjo in '79 when I was uh, 12 years old. On huh. my 12th birthday, I Why? got a, a band. Well, okay, this is kind of a funny story. Um, when I was 11 years old, uh, I was really into making those balsa wood airplanes. You uh-huh. know, where you uh, you make the the frame out of balsa wood and uh-huh. you put the uh, the paper on and that uh-huh. noxious dope stuff that yeah. stretches the paper. And in uh, in sixth grade, we had to do a, a report on a musical instrument and make that instrument out of household items. So I took a pie tin, stretched some paper on it, put a stick on it, rubber bands for frets, nylon fishing string. Um, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. There weren't too many banjos around me, but I knew what a banjo was because my grandma and grandpa used to – they seemed like they always had hee-haw on or the Beverly Hillbillies. So I pretty much knew it was a banjo. Uh-huh. Um, so I decided I'd do the report on the banjo, and I found out the ban- banjo came from Africa, right. and it had a rich history of playing all kinds of music from jazz and blues mm-hmm. and something called bluegrass, you know, and I thought it was cool. So uh, I begged my parents for a real banjo, got one on my 12th birthday, mm-hmm. dove right in. I had a blast right off the bat. My first teacher exposed me not just to bluegrass, but he was like, you got to check out this band called the Eagles. They have a banjo, and check out Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Oh, and yeah. they, John McEwen was playing everything from classical music to uh, these really cool um, compositions he would make, uh-huh. as well as pop. You know, so um, Taj Mahal and Kebmo were on the uh, uh, Colbert show last night. Oh, nice! And Kebmo had an electric banjo. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Uh, and Taj is really great at playing old timey style banjo. Yeah, yeah. So what did you start playing? I mean what 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 music caught you know, caught you uh during that period? Um I mean well, did, did you learn how to flat pick right right off or No, um I was uh I was into different types of music at the time. I mean, yeah. imagine the 70s and the unformatted FM radio. Yes. I was listening to whatever was on the radio. Yeah. I wasn't specifically uh, going for any certain bands. Uh-huh. I just remember these sounds. I also remember hearing slide guitar back then, so that uh-huh. kind of planted a seed in my head uh-huh. for later. But um, uh, my first teacher had me listening and playing bluegrass, you know, because naturally five-string banjo Scruggs. with... Scruggs, well, Scruggs style picking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I just I thought it was an interesting thing to do. I wasn't necessarily listening to the lyrics of the bluegrass songs or anything. It was just you know fast banjo playing yeah, for any very, teenage very kid is yeah. so much fun, yeah. you know. And I took right to it, but eventually I I got into listening to to other types of music. Uh, I was into a guy who was new at the time, Bela Fleck. He oh, was yeah. about 10 years older than me, and uh-huh. and he was just starting to experiment a little with jazz and, and classical and stuff and, and some other players. But um, 
I remember being a teenager taking classical guitar to make my banjo playing better. Ah. I remember studying uh, classical and jazz theory on my own, you know, during mm-hmm. during geometry class or whatever <laughs> I could. And then um, uh, really sinking my teeth into studying like Charlie Christian lines. And from there I went into Charlie Parker, the two Charlies. Yeah. And I started uh, really... Um, uh, deconstructing some of the solos that I could find, like from the Omni book and whatever, and I was I was trying to play bebop on the five string, wow. and learning whatever I could. It really helped with the freedom on the instrument. And even when I went to college, I I took a jazz improv class that was uh, really helpful, and the teacher was very open minded about it. He said, I remember when I asked him if I could take his class that I played banjo, mm-hmm. he got a funny look on his face, but he said, well, can you read? I said, yeah, I can read. I'm all right. He said, can you read a chart? I said, yeah, I can totally read charts. Yeah. So he let me yeah. take the class, and, and it really <laughs> helped with understanding um, application of, uh, uh, of what I was trying to teach myself. Did, did, you, did you try to play like Charlie Parker solos? Well, it was definitely impacting, but there's only so much you can do yeah. as, you know, uh, without formal training. But um, I was definitely um, borrowing lines, uh-huh. and so some of that is still remnant in, in what uh-huh. I do now, uh-huh. you know, because so, I pretty much, after I left college, I left college early to tour with bands. I was only, I went to college for about two years, and um, after that, my jazz my jazz studies pretty much stopped you know <laughs> and it was it was uh it was a, a good impact on on what would become my style uh-huh. so at at that point uh were you still being influenced by other uh string instrument players oh yeah yeah and i was also uh at the same time studying as much Irish traditional music as I could, um, learning from uh, instruments like like fiddle and uh, the Ilian pipes. You know, I was trying to deconstruct how to play those exact tunes on a five-string banjo rather than a plectrum banjo because yeah. a plectrum banjo's yeah. tuned relatively like a fiddle or a mandolin or uh-huh. whatever, and um, the five-string banjo's tuned essentially in thirds so I was having to do a lot of crazy um, you know shifting (laughs) to make the tunes work but it was really great uh, for my technique I'll bet yeah same same could be said for working out those Charlie Parker solos because Uh the same shifting I was noticing was going on Uh I was having to to do all these crazy jumps but it was good for technique I don't think you, you, did you, did work, you didn't get a, get a lot of requests for, for Donna Lee, for instance. No, but there was. It's funny you mentioned Donna Lee. There was another banjo player in the Bay Area at the time that was uh, my teacher, actually, Abram Siegel. Every party we would go to that we had our banjos yeah. would end up invariably with us two in the corner jamming on Donna Lee, just us two, <laughs> <laughs> two banjos playing Donna Lee. That's great, boy. You. you you never record that, did you? No, I wish I did. I, I recorded Blues for Alice. Did you? And uh, perhaps I recorded, but those are the only two Parker tunes I recorded. Donald, you should record Donald. Ah, oh, man, I got to go back and find out how I remember how I played it. That was It's a tricky one on the banjo. Yeah, it's a tricky one in any I know it is, yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I heard uh, uh, Jaco Pastorius 
solo Donald. Yeah, Day. that's that amazing. amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you you were launched then. I mean, you were you were you were out there. You were, uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, was that okay with your parents? Um, yeah, uh, they they knew that I was kind of destined to be a musician. I think it was either be a musician or a sculptor. So ah. <laughs> either way, it was going to be a hard life. You yeah. Know? Yeah, um, yeah. It's wh- harder for a sculptor. Uh, yeah, it's I a think lot harder for I, a sculptor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or just depending on what. And you don't meet as many girls. <laughs> well, <laughs> the funny thing about it was when I was um, deciding what I really wanted to do. Um, you know, I was enrolled as a fine arts major in college because they wouldn't let me be a music major with just playing the banjo. Where was that? Cal State Hayward. Uh-huh. And I re- remember even having the conversation with the um, the head of the music department. Uh, and when I told him that, um, you know, I was planning to go out on the road with this folk singer named Lori Lewis. I had already been on the road with her, and, and I experienced the road life, and I was, I was into it. I liked yeah. it. I liked playing music every day. That was great. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, there was another part of me that said, you should finish school. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was a couple years into it, and I went to the, the head, and, and I, I said, the only way I want to do this, to continue with my studies, is if I can do something with the, the music side. If I can be a music minor, maybe write my own minor, you know, figure out a way to do it, yeah. playing banjo. Yeah. He laughed at me. You know, it was before there was more open-mindedness about this. Yeah. He said, yeah. you can't study counterpoint on a banjo. I said, well, you can you actually can. Yeah. I know someone who did it, and he's willing to tutor me. And he just would not hear any part of it. And so I just, I, I, that's when I said, okay, I'm going to leave that behind. Yeah. The studies yeah. are going to, yeah. you know. Yeah. And my parents, you asked about my parents' yeah. support. They understood, you know, and they, they saw this opportunity. At the same time, I'd, I'd signed a deal with Rounder Records for my own solo career. Yeah. Um, they were going to put out my first album. Um, which was called Swamped, and it was produced by Mike Marshall. Mm-hmm. And we had some great players on it. Um, and my parents saw this happening, and they, they trusted me. Um, they let me take even the college money wow. that they had set aside Jeez. and put it into my first album. Huh. Um, I was very passionate about it. I was practicing yeah. six to eight hours a day and just huh. really trying to make the yeah. instrumental banjo player thing work. Huh. And... Um, they they would every once in a while say, so when are you going to go back to school and get your degree? <laughs> and then it became, so are you ever going to go back to school and get your degree? And, and they realized I was kind of off on my course. When you listen to that album now, what do you think? Um, it's a good album. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's not what I hear now, but it was a good uh, point in time. I hear, I hear uh, a young man full of testosterone <laughs> playing a lot of notes yeah. you know i hear a very different player but um yeah. it was uh, it was a it, it it's a good snapshot of where i was at at the yeah. time well that's the axiom of all time yeah that you learn to play you you you, you learn to play less yeah you do you know and for me also it it came uh to the point of like now i i think i'm more of a singer songwriter than uh-huh. i am an instrumentalist uh-huh. um but there's that instrumentalist side of me that yeah. that is still there that just loves to to, to jam. Yeah, and know? every once in a while you really do want to play fast. Yeah, of course, yeah. I love it <laughs> as fast as you can. Yeah, totally. 
That's why I still play the banjo. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm allowed to play all the yeah, notes I want to. to. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, were you influenced by other other banjo players back then, guys like Eric Weisberg or any of those guys? Or you, um, were you just on your own? It's funny you ask about Eric Weisberg. Why? Because I roomed with him once. Did you? And when I was 23 and I was hired to come uh, as one of many instructors at something called the uh, Tennessee banjo institute and it was a four-day thing i think it happened maybe two or three years in a row but the last one was the last one and uh that was the one i was in and um they boarded different banjo players with each other and and i i remember sharing a space with eric and was this before or after dueling banjo oh well after okay yeah this is like this was uh early 90s Ah. And so he, uh, I just remember hearing the story at length of the whole <laughs> debacle of uh, the dueling banjos thing and all the rights and who owned what to that song because oh, it was a mess. Was apparently. it? Oh, yeah. Nobody knows that. No. I mean, I, I don't remember how the story, like yeah. any of the details yeah. of it. I just yeah. remember he, he had a story in him about it. I have, so. I have a, a, an album by the Tarriers. Mm-hmm. Which was a band that he was in way back, yeah, sure, back in the seventies or yeah. maybe maybe even sixties uh-huh. when he was very young. Yeah, I think it was the sixties. Yeah, yeah, and he was trying to play as fast as possible. Well, sure, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a banjo thing. Yeah, yeah I mean, in some ways, it's like a drummer. The banjo player like a drummer. Mm-hmm. In, I mean, yeah, in that in that kind sure. of you know uh, the hi hat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah like the, and, and uh, the mandolin would be the uh, snare drum. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, you ask about players prob- uh, from that that era. Uh, I remember listening to Pete Seeger and having a Pete Seeger book did you ever when meet I was him? twelve. I did. Yeah, he was a sweet guy. That's what everybody says. Yeah, I met him yeah. a couple times, um, but it was a long time ago. Like I, yeah. when I was playing with Lori Lewis, we played the uh-huh. uh, Great Hudson Clearwater Revival. Uh-huh. Um, so I got to meet him there and somewhere else. But he, you know, he was one of those those players. I I I didn't gain a lot from listening to him just because I was off on a different course. Right. right. But uh, I enjoyed the simplicity of his playing. Right. You know. Yeah. Oh, he was never a, a virtuoso. Yeah. No. He, for him, no. it was more about the expression. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I was, and I get uh, that now. I had uh, Kate Power in here. Uh, nice. And she was telling me about meeting Pete also. Yeah. How, how terrific it was, and she didn't say anything about his music either. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, although his music has uh, always been impactful all all oh, over the he place. Had, he had the last, I believe, the last um, major mega hit album, folk album, mm-hmm. which is his, his Carnegie Carnegie Hall concert from hmm. you know eighteen fifty. Yeah, right. <laughs> Something like sure. that. Sure, you know. Um, so. Uh, um, well, let's get back to the album a little bit, because mm-hmm. uh, you got a CD a release coming. Yeah, and that we'll, we'll put up all the information on the on on on, on the page here. Cool. But uh, uh, you gonna have, you're going to have these guys. I'm going to have playing with me Luke Price, who's uh-huh. on the album, yeah. and Stephanie Schneiderman. Uh-huh. Uh, she's on the album too. But then I had to veer away from who's on the album because Matt Flinner lives in Burlington, Vermont, or Ooh. near Burlington, Vermont. Wow. Um, I tried to get him out here, but he's actually uh, uh, got some personal stuff that got in the way. Yeah. Um, and Rob Berger isn't available either. Mm-hmm. So 
um, I fleshed the band out with uh, John Reichman mm-hmm. from uh, British Columbia, but he's originally from. I think he's original. I think he grew up in Seattle. But I got to know him when I uh, when I was a kid, and I'd go hear uh, his band, The Good Old Persons, play. And then he also <laughs> played with the Tony Rice unit, and he's played with a lot of folks uh, over the years. He's, he's, uh, his playing, I know for a fact, uh, was a big influence on Chris Thiele. Um, anyway, he's, he's a wonderful player, and I'm glad he can do it. And then uh, also Johnny Connolly, who's a wonderful Irish accordion, button accordion player. I've known him for probably 20 years now, and he's been playing with a band called Solas. And, uh, he'll pl- be playing some accordion with us. And Dean will be opening up. Mm-hmm. which is uh, Luke and Rachel Price. They're kind of a soul pop thing. Well, mm-hmm. Luke plays fiddle, but in that yeah. setting, he's yeah. playing his old Gretsch electric guitar. Really? Yeah, and uh-huh. their singing is just uh, impeccable, yeah. and the songs are great, and they're finishing an album, and uh, the can't remember the producer's name, but they're doing it down in L.A. And where's the gig? The gig is at the Alberta Rose Theater. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Very, yeah, I I, nice. I think very I've re- nice. released my last few albums at the yeah. Alberta Rose, basically, yeah. and it's kind of made good sense. Yeah. You know, I've done a lot of them seeing there. Yeah. yeah, it's a good place. It's not, it is a good place. And it's just right up the street from my house. Is that right? Yeah, so <laughs> that works good. Yeah. Um, how many banjos do you own? Um, Approximately. Three. No, no, three. Only three? I own a lot more guitars than I own banjos. Why is that? Um, I Well... Banjos are, are kind of wacky to me. Um, when I was a kid, I was more into you know the 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 intricacies of the instrument, like the hardware and, yeah. and all that. Then I kind of lost that interest. And if it sounds good, it's fine, you know. With a guitar, uh, when I started playing slide guitar in the '90s. I was really interested in, in kind of weird, broken-down old guitars. <laughs> yeah. You know, I immediately found these these old boxes that were 100 bucks here and there, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I got some pretty interesting old guitars. I've got an old Kalamazoo guitar from the <laughs> 20s that was, uh, you know, one of the... It was like a, a Gibson offshoot or something. Uh-huh. I've got uh, an old K-Craft guitar, which looks like a... Uh, bloated uh, mandolin with a movable neck <laughs> and uh, you know and the guitar that I mostly play for the last 20 years is this old Martin from uh, 1944 and it's everybody a, goes back to the Martins it's just a uh, mahogany dark brown guitar that yeah. uh, my fingers have grown around basically yeah. Yeah. and I bought it in nearly mint condition the thing looks wow. it's getting it's starting to get a little Willie Nelson hole going I was going to I was going to mention Willie Nelson's yeah. guitar <laughs> well <laughs> It's you know, and and I've just grown so fond of it um, that, and I know how to get the tone I I need out of that guitar. My fingers know exactly what to do mm-hmm. on that guitar. But it's nice to have all these other instruments too. You know, I've yeah. collected a couple of uh, nice uh, electric guitars that mm-hmm. Stephanie borrows sometimes. Uh-huh. And, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, <laughs> about sharing instruments. Yeah, yeah. Is that a thing? Is that a good sure. thing or a bad yeah, thing? Yeah, no, it's a great thing. Oh, good. You know, some of the guitars I have. Well, you never would, know, you know. Well, some of the guitars I have wouldn't get used unless uh, uh-huh. you know Steph yeah. wasn't using them. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if, I I haven't counted. The guitars, wow. but I've got a lot more guitars than I have hey, banjos. Hey, if a guitar maker is a luthier, what's a banjo maker? <laughs> a luthier. <laughs> is that is, is also a luthier? Yeah. Really? <laughs> I was going to try to make a joke, but I didn't have one. <laughs> 
have one handy there. <laughs> I just thought there might be another name. I should have said broke. <laughs> Speaking of luthiers, I, I had Mike Mike Doolin in here not not too long oh, cool. ago. Cool. And he's he he's he's not he's not building guitars again. Yeah. Except he built one for his wife. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a great guitar maker. He's just out he's just out gigging all the time. Good. Yeah. Good for him. Playing back with the uh, soul vaccination, which is one thing people don't really realize about about Mike, Mike Doolin. Uh-huh. He's one of the founders of soul vaccination. He's known <laughs> for building these magnificent, beautiful guitars and all this stuff, and you're like, oh, oh, this guy's a funk a funkster. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, so, so, are you, I would be worried that somebody would break in and, and take them. Yeah. Wow. Must mean knocking on wood. Yeah. Because that, that yeah. can happen. These days, it's, I mean, uh. I say these days, but I think it's always been that It's way. always been that yeah. way, yeah. 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 I mean, um, I have gotten broken into in fact i was on tour in the early 2000s with um me and my guitar player at the time gowan matthews and reinhard melts on drums and huh. willie barber on bass wow. and we were playing through texas uh-huh. and i remember we parked at this east houston um hotel it was we had a van and a trailer and um I remember we parked. It was a well-lit lot. It was gated. There was a camera going right down. Oh, man. And uh, we got broken into, and we had some instruments. that I I had too many instruments to be taking them in and out and in and out, so I figured it felt safe. I don't feel that way anymore, ever. But that was the time when I did, and I remember I had – I'm trying to remember what I had in there. We had just left the Gibson plant in – Nashville, in oh, fact, geez. and I had a deal with them, Gibson Epiphone. They had given yeah. me a few guitars. Yeah. Uh, one was a prototype just to check out. It was an yeah. acoustic guitar. Yeah. That got stolen. Um, an electric SG, yeah. I remember I had. I had been doing a lot of playing with uh, Derek Truck's band on the road, like uh-huh. um, on the bill with them, and so I remember Derek played an SG at the time, and I was uh-huh. like, oh, I want to try one of those. And there was uh, a Les Paul that I had. All three guitars got stolen. And then Gowan's guitar got stolen. Willie had two basses stolen. They didn't touch my vintage Martin or my banjo or my Dobro banjo. So they didn't know what they were taking. They, yeah, I mean, I think they just grabbed. Yeah. We just imagined some guy like loaded up with instruments walking away, you know, full view of the camera. We tried to have the guy check the, the, the video the next morning, but. Uh, you know, we filed a police report. Willie ended up getting one of his bases back. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Reinhardt Mel, huh? so you must like odd meters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reinhardt's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I played a lot with Reinhardt back then. Did you? Yeah. Was he is into odd meters then as he is now? <laughs> I don't remember. I just know that uh, he's the king of odd meters now. Yeah, well, he was he was wonderful guy to play with. Yeah, in fact, there was a version of the a trio that I did, which was Reinhard and Damian Erskine on bass. Oh man, well they they're they're you know they're twins. Yeah, we had fun, you know, just yeah. like experimenting with um, uh-huh. banjo and slide guitar tunes. You yeah. know, so it was. Yeah when I was just starting to write vocal songs, in fact. So yeah. I was just sneaking those in. Why did in. you make that? I mean, how, what, was, what went into that decision? It wasn't really a decision. It just mm-hmm. kind of happened. Really? You know? uh, I remember early on in my career, my mom would always say, hey, 
why you should sing you should sing and I said like, well I don't feel it yet I don't feel like singing and uh, then after I started singing um, you know some people would say you should write write some lyric songs because I was writing a lot of instrumental tunes mm-hmm. I was like I just I don't have feel like I have anything to say mm-hmm. then once I started having something to say and I was reading a lot more I was reading a lot of poetry at the time too mm-hmm. and it started to make sense to go ahead and start writing songs. And Stephanie have anything to do with that? It was before, before we Stephanie. were dating wow. that I started oh. writing. I started um, writing vocal songs, but I'm sure we've both had uh, influence on each other uh-huh. with what we write and how we write and how much we write. You know? Is that is that something that's subconscious or is that a conscious thing? Both. Yeah. 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 Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, subconscious is because you're always around that person right. and, and right. sharing yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Um, consciously, because there has been times we've sat down with each other. Huh. And uh, there's been only a few times we've sat down and tried to write a song together, which uh-huh. is ca- kind of funny. But yeah. that's just um, the way it is, you know. Uh, I'm sure someday we'll write some more songs together. And <laughs> we, we listen to each other's uh, songs that we put uh-huh. together and uh-huh. uh, give whatever two cents we have. Uh-huh. Sometimes it's more than two cents, sometimes less, uh-huh. you know. So you went through that period of her where, when, when she, she, she made in her electronica period yeah. with Keith. Yeah. That was really interesting. Yeah, it was really interesting. I thought yeah. it was really cool because yeah. what Keith yeah. does is, is um, a little more organic sounding to yeah. me yeah. than what uh, some producers do, you know. And... um I I I I loved it, you know, because it was a really cool meeting of minds. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 I don't think he. I don't think he. He, he uh, produces. I don't think he produces anymore. But I, I know he, he. I don't think he ever produced a male singer. Oh. Yeah. I <laughs> no, don't that know. was his thing. His thing was to take take female singers and, mm-hmm. and work with. Yeah. Uh, Dahlia, his first sure. band was with yeah. Jen Folker, and mm-hmm. then he had very varying successes with other ones, but. I think Stephanie was was his, you know, his number one. Yeah, it's great. With, with, during that period, great stuff. I I, I, um, I DJ at the at the Joe Bar. Oh, right on. And I do this quiet storm thing. Yeah. On Saturday night from ten to midnight, where it's getting you know it's getting it's late and it's um, for them. Yeah. And uh, and I and I always play um, Stephanie from oh, that cool. period because it fits so well. Yeah. You know. Nice. Because <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's soft oh, yeah. and it's, 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 you know, but it's, it's compelling. And it's well, yeah, well-crafted songs. Yeah, yeah. Really cool producing. Um, what, t- talk a little bit about some of these songs yeah. on this album. Okay. Because we don't want to get too far from the album. Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> well, it's a new album. Yeah. And you need to sell some. Yeah, you got to stop me. I'm, I'm easy, I blab really <laughs> easily. I get oh, rambling. No. Stop. Well, are you the, kidding? Let me think about the songs <laughs> that are on the album. It starts with a song and called... About, and also think about what we should close with. Sure. Because I'd like to close, you know, with, with one, of the, one of the tunes. Of course. Okay. Um... I know that I start the album with something called Can't Lie Down, which I wrote uh, a few years back for my album called Golden. Mm -hmm. And um, that was written as our maybe another song or two on on the the live album. They were written as part of a a songwriter's group, like a club. Uh, It's set up where uh, there's a bunch of these around the country. Mm -hmm. It's different songwriters connected only on the Internet, some of them you don't know who the other writers are. 
and you don't have you don't like have influence necessarily on each other's songs, but you all have one title that you're working with. <laughs> so the leader of the group will shoot out a title, and for that that song, the title that we were given was one word more. And um, you can either title your song that you can have that that line somewhere in the song. That line has to be the given line has yeah. to be somewhere in the song. Yeah. And in and most cases, you know, it's still the title or it's a recurring thing in the chorus or something. So, um, and then you write your song, you record it, and you upload it so all the other songwriters can check it out a few days later or a week later. Everyone's different, you know, and um, it's enough of a little nudge to write a song every uh-huh. week, uh-huh. right? <laughs> Until you burn out, which is usually a few right. weeks later because <laughs> how do you keep up with that? Yeah, right. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was the title we got, and uh, for me, it was uh, kind of a stream of consciousness, kind of, uh, at the time, there was some political stuff happening, and I kind of went with that, and uh-huh. it was a fun song to, to write and yeah. play some fast banjo with. Um, <laughs> what else is on the album? There's, um, there's a song called uh, uh, Dying Language, uh-huh. which is also on my album called The Bell. And that's another one of those song club songs, and uh-huh. it's more of a song that's that's uh, influenced by, um, you know, hate speech, uh-huh. hate language, and liking to think of uh, dying uh, as hate speech as a dying language, mm-hmm. and so that's where that one came from. And that's just on the album; it's a duet with me and uh, Rob Berger on accordion, um, taken from one of the earlier shows. Yeah. Um, I reached back on uh, a few of the tunes on there, like uh, there's some instrumentals, uh, one called Tyson's Dream that I wrote mm-hmm. back in the 90s. There's uh, an old-time fiddle tune on there called Jeff Sturgeon, and that's just an old traditional tune. Tyson isn't Ian Tyson, is it? No, Tyson okay. was a little right. kid that I knew. Oh. <laughs> uh, he was, uh, uh, I met him, he was uh, about five years old, and... He was telling me about his dream, and that's all I remember. Right. Then I wrote that tune, and I was like, ooh, I'm going to call this Tyson's Dream. <laughs> um, what else is on the album? Well, the- I, let me ask you this, and I know that everybody asks this question, but it's still a good question. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when, you're, when, you're, when, you're, uh, when you're composing a tune that, uh, that you're going to sing, mm-hmm. what comes first? The words or the music? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, personally, in the best-case scenario, they come at the same time. Really? Uh, but I've had some of my favorite songs of mine come where it's like piece by piece. You know, sometimes I'll have a melody that I'm just noodling around with and singing nonsense lyrics, mm-hmm. and that'll sit around for a few months. And then I'll revisit it, and then all of a sudden the words come in uh-huh. a rush, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, some you just have to painstakingly, yeah. you know, peel away the layers yeah. until you get to what you're trying to say uh-huh. or not say. Right. Uh, it's such an enigma sometimes, you know. Yes, um, yes. As, uh, for writers, the, the, the line we always use is the, uh, the, best, the best part is, is having written. Yeah, right. <laughs> when you're done, you're looking back yeah. at it, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then deciphering what you actually said. Yes. You know, I've had, yeah. I've had many times oh, yeah. where I'll finish a song and I'll feel like I'm saying one thing. Oh, there's a song on here, actually, uh-huh. that's called um, Give Me Your Soul. Uh-huh. And uh, I thought I was writing a song about 
being influenced or, or possessed by artificial intelligence, like your phone or your computer or the internet, you know. And, and um, then later I realized it was actually about a kind of a toxic relationship I had with uh, someone who I used to work with <laughs> that I had to part ways with. Wow. And wow, um, wow, wow. yeah, but I also got reviewed on uh, in I think it was the Danish press, uh-huh. and they talked about that album being about uh, a bad relationship with uh, a lover. And I was like, no, that's not what. It was. And then someone else asked me about the song. I think on the radio they said, so tell me, is that song about addiction? It's like no, <laughs> but it's really cool that, that people have. Yeah. I think some yeah. of the best songs are. Um, you know, um, heard many different ways. Yeah. You know, it's a it's it's a, a song that gives you that space and that freedom to to have your 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 own interpretation of what it means to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, um, what's your favorite instrumental on this? Mm, you know, I like the stripped down thing. The, uh, not to be egotistical about this, but it's no, the one that's, it's just me. <laughs> I remember. If you can't be egotistical about your own work, who can? It's a version of uh, Amazing Grace uh-huh. that I did. That's just me um, going from Amazing Grace into an instrumental that I wrote called Firecracker. Uh-huh. And the reason um, it's my favorite is because I remember the moment of doing it and just thinking to myself, "I want this to be good." I want this to to feel special to yeah, me, yeah. so I cl- actually closed my eyes for the whole tune, and um, I remember the night we were doing it, you know, and I had to be in charge. Of, that was one of the nights I had to be in charge of the recording gear, wow. and it was a moment where it was like this moment is mine. Yeah, close my eyes, yeah, yeah. played it the way I wanted to play it, yeah. and I opened my eyes when it was done. I was like, okay, good. I said what I wanted to say, and it was yeah. the only tune that yeah. that felt yeah. keepable for yeah. that night. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. Are the tempos the same in, in both tunes? Or is there no, is, is, it, there's it, a trend? Yeah. It goes from... Transitions uh, in, in medleys are just the most amazing things. They can be. Yeah. They can be terrible, but they can also... <laughs> I A lot of times I let transitions be organic, yeah. you, you know, to the yeah, night. Because sure. I, I like that. I uh-huh. like to have the freedom to let it kind of breathe mm-hmm. and maybe explore some other avenue. And so... With that one, it's just a, a cold kind of go yeah. from one. Yeah. Well, actually, no, I take that back. There's a little bit of a, oh, there's a slight transition in there. Yeah. And, and then you say to yourself, that was really nice. <laughs> I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, okay, good. And then what's terrible can, sometimes is when you think that and then you go back and listen to it and you're like, ah, oh, man, <laughs> it's not what I oh, wanted. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. You know, uh, I know when I'm doing my radio show. You know, and 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 and, I'll, and I'll, it, it, it'll just happen. You know, I'll go from one to another, and yeah. like, oh man, I didn't even know that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can, and sometimes I'll let that happen in shows too, where, yeah. um, especially if I'm solo. But if I have a band, it can be the most amazing thing, where you're going yeah. from one song, and then you just choose at the last second yeah. to go into another song, yeah. and yeah. it just kind of happens organically. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. We're in a coffee shop. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, one time I, 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 I went from um, Curtis Mayfield to Narls Barkley, mm-hmm. and it was perfect. 
Nice. I'm like, how did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, thank you for stopping by. I really yeah, appreciate sure. talking to you, and and, and uh, I, we've never had a chance to sit down and say hi. And nope. and, uh, and and that's this is I'm glad we had a chance to. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. Uh, have a great time at your CD release, and yep. oh, you going on the road after this? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, yeah. after that show, I I go up to Seattle. Uh-huh. Um, and play a show there at the Triple Door, and then I fly back east to do a whole another southeast run and end up in New Mexico. With a CD? Yeah. 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 Well, great. Yeah. Good for you. Thank you. Congratulations. Thanks for coming in.
bone I don't want your flesh and bone 